Welcome to Cloudlandia. Mr. Sullivan. Mr. Jackson. Well, well, well. Is it hot or cold in Florida today? Well, it is middling, I would say. It's a little bit overcast, but I think it's on its way. We had yesterday was the first day in several weeks that I felt a warmth in the air. There's been we've had a bit of a cold overtone to everything. Yeah, I think uh, cold in Florida in January is worse than (laughs) cold in Ontario in January. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, and especially Uh, disappointing for people who come from Canada expecting. I was contemplating this on the plane flight. We flew into Chicago yesterday afternoon, and I was complaining at how <clears throat> oblivious I am generally to weather. Like, I know there are people who, uh, I don't know what the exact term is, but they have seasonal seasonal mood disorder or something seasonal like affective, that. Seasonal affective disorder, yeah. Sad. Uh, seasonal oh. affective disorder. Right. Yeah. And, you know, I don't exactly know what goes on there, but the only thing I can say, I don't have it. Yeah, exactly. I don't mind overcast either. That's funny. But, you know, I am 24 years now into a snow-free millennium with only two asterisks. And those asterisks are both because of you. The The only time I've seen snow in this whole millennium is on the occasions when I've been in Toronto in the winter because yeah. of going to 10 times when you started the 10 times program. And then I yeah. believe there was one time in Chicago that there mm-hmm. was some uh, snow, usually three out of the four dates you get away mm-hmm. with no snow, but there's always that December till, you know, April time mm-hmm. when it somewhere yeah. in there, you might end up with some snow. Yeah, well, we have snow on the ground. I mean, fresh, too, at, uh, overnight. But mm-hmm. the sidewalks are already dry, naturally. And I already, uh, arranged, you know, I already arranged with the uh, powers that be to put the asterisk beside my thing because although I've seen snow and been in the presence of snow, I've not had snow touch me. So... The purity mm-hmm. of it is intact, mm-hmm. although the technicality yeah. of it is I've been in snow. So, Yeah, I remember our very first client from Australia, <clears throat> mid-90s, from Sydney, and he came to his workshop in Toronto one winter, and he, his wife came with him, mm-hmm. and he got a call from her while he was at the workshop that she had gone outside and a snowhead fell on her. In Australia or in no in in the US? No, in Toronto. All yeah. oh, right, a, right. A snow had fallen on her. It's the first time in her life that a yeah. snow. She snow. was talking about a flake. She was <laughs> talking right. about a flake. Yeah, yeah, I got it. A snow. <laughs> yeah. Usually, you can have as many as you want. Yeah. Crunch all you want. <laughs> yeah, but I I, so I have very memorable childhood winters of hiking through fields and woods in the snowy season. And, you know, and of course, when you're six years old, the snow is deeper than it is uh, when you're 80. And, yeah. But I, so my, I have a real warm spot in my heart about snowy treks, you know, mm-hmm. and, um, you know, and imagining that you're a member of, member of, you know, Antarctic um, export, exploration, everything, things that you do, you make up. You know, you make up, you know, romantic images based on your reading regarding snow. But I I like the four seasons. I'm a real fan of the change from one season to the other. And then, you know, we have these massive oak trees in our lawn. We have seven Mm -hmm. that are, you know, well over 100 feet. Yeah. And and uh, they're real friends because we've had them now for, you know, for at this particular spot, we've had them for 20, this is our 22nd year. And, mm-hmm. you know, and I just, you know, they're kind of friends, you know, they're kind of dependable friends. Oaks it, tend not to disappoint, you know, they're yes. not, they're, they're never late. They always show up, you know. No, that's exactly right. To do. Yeah, and uh, but it's it's just interesting to watch the change of the scenery 
and our lawn based on what happens to the oak trees over the course of an entire year. Well, you you have not yet been to the Four Seasons Valhalla, but we, we are have su- not. surrounded by 150-year-old oak trees. It's like a, a park. Right out in front of my house, I have a big one that mm-hmm. spans over the driveway. It's beautiful. Majestic. I think these are called, they're in the south, there's this variety. They're called pin oaks. I don't, I don't know what the actual name are, Mine are called are, live oak. Well, live oaks are the best. That's what I think uh, we have because they're they spread. You know, they've got quite no. I mean, nice canopies. when an oak tree is alive, it's the best. Oh, I see. <laughs> oh, yes, that is. You know, you're always a bit worried about the dead ones. You know, <laughs> the dead oaks are the best. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh my goodness, you crack me up. I'm constantly amazed yeah. though, that they come and so that. That tree in front of my house, we've got them all throughout the whole neighborhood here. And they Mm -hmm. come and they'll like lop off entire branches, like entire, not just the little things, but big things. And they'll just keep going and grow right back and shape the way. Because often it'll, they have to trim around because the limbs will come over my house, right? And if it were to fall, it would be a problem. So they always keep it outside the perimeter of the of the roof. Well, it must have been interest, interesting because to, you know, the zoning in your place must have taken into account that you can't cut down the oak trees. Yeah, that's true. That's everything is built around around them. And we our HOA takes care of all of the landscaping so everything Mm -hmm. it's all uniform it looks like a park so you don't have you know different levels of care (laughs) being taken everybody's uh, the whole the whole place looks great so no opportunity for status right that's exactly right and oh that tightly deed restricted like you're absolutely right like it's you know every house is the same brick there's approved tile they're all tile roof you have to have a tile roof you have to have copper flashings you have to have this valhalla brown as any exterior paint the windows everything it's all you know they started in the late 80s building in here and they've you know as recently as two years ago the last the last home was was built in here but there's only 50 homes in here but you wouldn't be able to tell you couldn't tell which ones are new and which ones are from you know 1980s and that's it's kind of nice it's cool but we've had you know mm-hmm. I say, it's funny you say it's an interesting thought that no opportunity for status in here because so when i moved in here 22 years ago now 2002 i was by far the youngest person in here and thought i was would joke that 20 years from now i'll be old enough to live in here (laughs) and (laughs) (laughs) this is a my neighborhood like right beside me the uh Three of the four houses to my right were referred to at the time as Citrus Baron Row, where these guys were all, you know, in their 70s and 80s and had built the citrus, you know, uh, they were all sort of competitors in the citrus business in Polk County. At one time, Polk County produced more citrus than the entire state of California. And Mm -hmm. so... So these guys were all there. My neighbor across the street was the guy who started Steak and Shake, the restaurant uh, chain. Mm-hmm. And when he died, he he left $20 million to Indiana University to for the Kelly School of Business wing there. And the... My neighbor who moved in there is now the owns a company called Colorado Boxed Beef. 
And they are like an Omaha Steaks type of thing. So anyway, but fascinating people, but very like low key. You never know about any of them that they're mm-hmm. who they are. And I think that was part of the intention of the community, you know, when they built the mm-hmm. community. But it's very interesting. Yeah, it's, re- it's really interesting. The reason I brought up the status of the mm-hmm. re- relationship to a you know, a, a design community, you know, I'll just use yeah. the word design community. Yeah. And the uh, the first one actually was in, I think it was in New Jersey, and it was yes. called Levitt Town, and it was yes. designed by a man by the name of Levitt. And that was the first design community that was where individuals could buy homes. I mean, mm. there were sort of during the industrial age, growing, yes. you know, in the 1800s, uh, there, yeah. there was there were company towns, you know, right. where the corporation, the company, would design all the homes, and you right. know they would do it on the they would do it on the cheap, and there actually there's a town outside of uh, Chicago called Pullman. Mm-hmm. and Pullman was the cars. Uh, oh yeah, Pullman cars, uh, right? Pullman. Uh, Pullman rail, cars, rail cars the, right? Yeah, and the railways, yeah, and that was a design company town, and all the businesses were owned by the company, and uh, the only people who could live there were people who worked for the Pullman. So you've mm-hmm. had that type of thing. You've had that type of mm-hmm. thing. You know, you know, it's probably from the beginning of industrialization. Hershey, Pennsylvania, kind of right. that way too. Yeah, and Col- uh, so Colmer, the, Wisconsin. Yeah, Kohler, Wisconsin. Yeah, mm-hmm. and so the, um, but I think Levittown was actually. It's worth it for people to look it up. It's a very interesting thing. Yeah, it, I remember seeing created, some documentary about it. Uh, and it was huge. I mean, it was mm-hmm. huge. It was in the thousands of homes. Yes. And uh, yeah, and then you know the idea caught on. Yeah. Well, that was what, as the evolution of, you know, as cars became. The big thing in the highway system, you know, you could have, that was where the suburbs really began. That was one of the mm-hmm. first suburbs, if I recall. Yeah. Yeah. Very yeah and that actually started, that really started in, I read the history of the Victorian age in Great Britain, which lasts, you know, is basically from the, the beginning of Queen Victoria, which was, I think, 18, 1820s, 1830s right up until she died and she was in for more than 60 years. And, and, but uh, the big thing was the expansion of the London rail system. You know, it kept going further and further out and the, and you know, London, London, Americans who have no idea of what, you know, a city train system looks like because London has seven that I've visited. They may have more, but they had, seven major railroad stations and these are huge these are as big as you know they're like grand central station but there's seven of them and then the the lines go out like the you know like the like a clock face to go out you know and but they kept pushing them further and further out and uh, one of the big things was that you could live right on the rail system and they started building these suburban towns not with yeah. the uniformity that you're talking about with, you know, with your your community, but yeah. but that whole idea of the suburbs became a big thing, you know, mm-hmm. and and it, it changed things economically, it changed things politically, changed things culturally, mm-hmm. and that's that's very interesting thing, and you know, a- and it contrasts that with where we have our home in Chicago. That uh, right after the war, it was sort of a factory area. It's right near the airport. And they built all these boxes, you know, mm-hmm. and, and there were just streets and streets. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah. And they were the same. They were, yeah. these, you know, not big, um, but completely uniform. And uh, I think around that happened probably for a period of 10, 15 years, right up till the 60s. And then yeah. the Park Ridge. The town that I live in passed a mm-hmm. law that if you build a house, it couldn't be, it had to be different from the two houses on each side of you. Oh, wow. That's interesting. I wonder about yeah. that, like the, this evolution would be an interesting, like, you know, 
seeing the architectural journey because if you go back to have you ever been to Newport in in Rhode New England? Yeah, Newport, Rhode Island. Have you ever been to see the oh, yeah. Vanderbilt mansions and all those things? Like well, they so were you, called cottages. They were cottages, called Newport. Exactly. Cottages. I love that. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, yeah, they had 40 rooms, you know. <laughs> yeah. So when you look at it yeah. that in a world pre-income tax. And pre antitrust. I, I think income tax probably made a difference. Yeah. <laughs> probably. But you look at that that gilded age of yeah. where opulence was the thing. That's where you get all those, you know, huge mansions in New York City, even and the whole thing. People were they were big. And there's mm-hmm. nowhere, you know, across the street from me, there is a new development so one of the valhalla was kind of out you know surrounded by 350 acres that one citrus family owned for Mm. years right there's almost a mile on lake eloise of lakefront and there was no houses on it it was all just orange groves and so recently you know a few years ago they sold the land and now they're starting to develop this neighborhood, this new, you know, giant subdivision called Harmony. And the houses, they've start the first phase. Like in the last year, they've, you know, made quite amazing headway on it. But Dan, the houses that they're building have as much character as the houses in the board game Monopoly. You know, they're just little boxes that they're putting right beside each other on all of these things. And the two-story houses look like the hotels in Monopoly. You know, there's no, they're just boxes with windows and a two-car garage and a driveway and zero character. You You look at the homes that were being built in the, you know, in the 20, you know, the 1800s, 1900s mm-hmm. and 20s, the homes were all craftsman style homes, you know, like there was some yeah. artistry to them. Mm-hmm. And now in every way, it's really come full circle to pure utilitarian, you know, mm-hmm. utility, just what's the yeah. right angles <laughs> with very little, you know, very little uh, yeah it's really really interesting because you know there's kind of a van vanity that goes along mm-hmm. with the times you know and other yeah. people well we do things better than people did a hundred years ago right. but it was very interesting that a hundred years ago you could go to the sears and roebuck catalog yeah and you, you could go where you could buy a house of the and and they would have pages and pages of different styles, and and what you would do is you would order it, you know, yeah. and you had to pay you had to pay for it, you know, yeah. and you had to send a money order, you had to Western Union it, you know, you had yeah. to send a telegram, and then the money would be secured at the other end, and about five days later by train and truck, your house kit would arrive, and then you had to engage with a local builder. Yes. And the local builder would just follow the manual and would put up a house. And some of these houses were 10, 12-room houses, you know, yeah. two stories. Yeah. They, they had big porches and everything yes. else. And then you could modify them. I mean, you could modify them. You could paint them whatever mm-hmm. color you wanted. Them. Mm-hmm. There's actually a town in Michigan, Frankenmuth, which is sort of a German theme. It's sort of one of those theme towns, you know, where it's a German town. So they have a big Oktoberfest there every year. And, you know, they have German restaurants. And I suspect it happened because there were a lot of German immigrants to that area of Michigan. But they have more intact lived-in Sears and Roebuck houses than any other community. Oh wow! And and uh, but if you go to uh, you know if you go to Google and you just put in Sears and Roebuck houses images, you'll see the you'll see all the pictures of these houses and they're, they're 
it would be considered sort of lavish today, these houses, you know. But it yeah. was just, you know, it, it just arrived by train. You know, it was big garden after garden. Everything it's funny was that we've kind of come, uh, we've kind of come full circle on that now. The yeah. biggest yeah. trends are, you know, pre-modular Manuf- manufactured yeah. homes. Yeah, that they deliver, and even now, three D printed homes. And I think it's probably going to yeah. be a combination of that of three D printed and modular. Yeah, interior things mm-hmm. that's gonna be but you know you look at it it's like we're still have you seen in any i don't haven't followed it but population projections for the united states over the next 50 years have you seen what's the projection yeah, well 400 million by 2050 so they're three you know they're mid it's probably you know and that's a lot of illegal people who became legal, you know, mm-hmm. so there's a t- ton of illegal people in the country right now right. and everything. But they estimate, you know, that the U S is going to grow pretty much at, you know, if you go- look back 30 or 40 years, probably, you know, probably the same rate of growth to, you know, one or 2% per year, the mm-hmm. population grows. And, but they're the, Peter Zion in his books, and I've That's spoken what I about him a lot on the pre-podcast. Yeah. But he said that the United States still has so much land. Oh, yeah. That's not, set- that's not settled. I mean, it's, you know, it's geographically established and everyone. But he said mm-hmm. the U.S. could, this was, he was using three three hundred and thirty million as the base number there. And he said, if you doubled the population, 660 million, the country wouldn't feel any more crowded than it does now. Yeah, that's very interesting. And I can attest to that for Florida in itself. Yeah. But were, was it yeah, you well, and Florida, I? Were... Florida, is, Florida, Florida is like 30 million now, I think. Is that yeah, the latest like, number I heard there? No, it's on its way to 30 million in by, 30, by 2030. It should be 30 million. Yeah, it's 20. Yeah. 24 million or something right now, but we're the fastest growing. They're alternating between Texas and, but we grew last year at 1,200 people a day. You know, so we're growing a city the size of Orlando every year. Yeah. And there's plenty yeah, of part, room. Part of the reason, part of the reason I think is the retiring baby boomers. Oh, um, yeah. Yeah. And in other words, that. Uh, I may be an anomaly that I'm 80 and I, yeah, I'll be 80 in May and I don't feel the cold doesn't bother me, you know, like right. cold weather, but there's a lot of people, you know, I mean, if you have arthritis, the, yeah. you know, the cold bothers you, yeah. you know, and other things, but, uh, you know, I know I have no thought of ever, and Babs would be with me here, no thought of ever living as our permanent home anywhere but Toronto. Right, and mm-hmm. but we visit our, our favorite is Arizona, so we go yes. to Arizona a lot during the year. Yeah, and but I have no, you know, I mean, there wouldn't be anything on. Well, one day we'll be able to go, and you know, we'll spend, you know, spend, you know, uh, six months, cold yeah. seasons, something right. warm, and that doesn't really play I think into that's my. Still, that's playing into Florida's hand, in that it's still part of the dream for many people oh yeah that it's oh, yeah. you know you when we were talking about guessing and betting that you know i think that's a pretty certain guess that from you know what's not going to change in the next 20 years that you know right now still we're in the middle of the the baby boom baby boomers turning 65 there's going to be you know there's 10,000 people a day turning 65 yeah. right now which yeah. will be 2028 2028 is the year when all people born during the baby boom era are now older than 65. You know, yeah, that's 2028. Right. Yep. So you and, look at that and it's like in the Northeast, that is almost like, you know, it's almost like mandatory military requirement that you, <laughs> that you pack it up and head down south. This is where you get you know? shipped to. This is where yes. you get shipped to. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah and of course, the, the Northeast is 
by far the most expensive from a government standpoint is the most expensive part of the country. Yeah. You know, regulation and taxes. Yeah. You know, I would say from New Jersey right up to the Canadian border, you know, that there's a movement south. I mean, obviously, Florida has great attractions, you know, other than, but even economically, that your tax and regulations are way more tolerable than in the the Northeast. Yeah. You know, I kid people who are from California, you know, I says, you know, who are in the client base. New York, not so much New York, but California. It's mm-hmm. easier to pick on New York than it is, or pick on California than it is New York. Because oh, yeah. California was the dream place, you know, you went yeah. to California, that was the great dream. And I said, so at some point, are you thinking about moving to the United States? That's funny. Yes, exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I've got a client who's from Montana, Bozeman, and he's, I said, why is Bozeman so popular? And they said, it's, it's. It's the closest place in Montana that you can be near the United States. Okay. <laughs> it's so funny, those places. There are lots of those. Like, we've got a client in Miami, in South Beach, and they said that's the refrain. That's their clients. What they like about South Beach is that it's so close to America. You know? <laughs> yeah. Can certainly be in it, but not of it. There, that's the truth. You know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's what, I think that's kind of what you know. Every that's what's kind of buoying, you know, Ron DeSantis. His you know, his polling is you know the only reason he's even in the running is because of you know people looking at what he's done for Florida. His whole <laughs> campaign was make America Florida. But that would be, you know, that would be a candidate who just has had no United, no experience outside of Florida. Uh, absolutely. <laughs> no. Right. I think that's it. Yeah. And, yeah the, you know, each of the states is a country and people, you know, people have their, you know, the, the whole notion that everything should be like one place. Uh, yeah. You know, right. That then that's go, not it. I mean, you, there were a lot of rookie mistakes that he made, you know. You, yes. The, the, the other thing is that he's running up against somebody who's done two complete national campaigns before this mm-hmm. one. Mm. He's a great organizer. I mean, President Trump is a I great think everybody organizer. Is, I think everybody is baffled by his, I mean, it's not even close, the lead that Trump has over everybody else in the polling mm-hmm. and in the, you know, mm-hmm. the things. It's just what a year this is going to be, you know, to mm-hmm. see how this all yeah. plays out. Yeah. And this, I think like, some cases, some cases are going to, especially at the level of the Supreme Court. Mm-hmm. And one, one of them is, of course, the appeal to the Colorado move oh, that yeah. Trump can't, can't be on the ballot. And uh, mm-hmm. I think if the justice or uh, justices, I mean, it'll the Supreme Court will overturn it. But I think the justices would be smart to make it nine to zero, yeah. nine to zero, because this is and it's just an interpretation of one of the amendments, the Fourteenth right. Amendment, and it's mm-hmm. you know, and and they're going to establish that, and then that becomes the precedent. So all the other states, like Maine or anybody else, is thinking about it, can't do it. You know, mm-hmm. and that's the role of the Supreme Court are the, right. to interpret the Constitution. Yes. But that'll be seen as a big win. And then there's another one that he has where there's a special prosecutor who's after him. And there's he appealed the special prosecutor that he needed a ruling. And they said, no, this is your issue. You have to go through the court system. And that was a win for Trump. And and the whole point is everybody's desperately trying to get the actual trials because he's been indicted in before the election. But there's all sorts of ways that you can delay it into the future, you know. And anyway, so I was reading that the whole notion of January 6th and the insur- insurrection, you know, that's, mm-hmm. the, that's the key issue here, that January 6th was yes. a, um, an ins- insurrection. But none of the charges against him are 
mention the word insurrection. You know, they mention, right. you know, it's tax things. It's that he had documents with him, you know, yeah. you know, when he left the White House and everything like that. But I, I don't think they're going to stand up to scrutiny. And right. but everyone that he wins now is like uh, his poll numbers go up when he's right. indicted. His polls numbers go up when the indictment it's is crazy. overturned. His poll numbers go up. Yeah. <laughs> but he's 24 seven. The the thing that the media know is that when they have anything about Trump, they get higher viewership and there's more advertising dollars. And so yes. they're caught because they'd like to take him down. But everything they do to take him down increases his poll numbers. That's so, crazy. What's yeah. your Yeah, but it's inter- but it's interesting like that uh, you know my Jeff Madoff and I did a podcast last Sunday and mm-hmm. we were comparing the phenomenon of Taylor Swift uh-huh. with the phenomenon of Trump. Trump oh, wow. You yeah. know, co- completely different, you know, completely different worlds and everything but but each of them has created a movement that people feel that they can participate in yeah this is uh, and nobody in the music industry has what she has as a movement and nobody in the political realm has what he has in the you know yes. it's a nationwide movement yes. that you feel you can participate in and uh, but it's amazing and, to uh, me how top heavy the field is you know in terms of like it's Mm -hmm. really only biden and trump there's no real viable candidate i mean even as much of a a, you know we saw robert kennedy in Mm -hmm. genius uh, genius network yeah yeah. genius network and you know the as running as an independent which is you know that's a non-starter there's no that's not a difficult <laughs> that's not a difficult <laughs> bet to guess on you know even if he is a reasonable you know has some things and you start to see yeah. now even no there's nobody coming behind there's not even any alternatives you know like you look at uh, vivek uh ramaswamy and yeah you know although he kind of has obama undertones to him reminds you like as a speaker and articulator yep. communicator um but i don't know for me he it's just the tone that it's more important to him to be right that he vo- mm-hmm. he wants to win the argument you know through yeah. clever elocution yeah. I, I don't know how that win happens. the battle but lose the war <laughs> that's what it feels like to me right like that is just yeah. kind of uh that it just has yeah. to it's more important to him the real motivation is to prove that he's smart enough or or whatever, you know? Yeah. And, uh, you know, I mean, first of all, the times we're in dictates whether people think that somebody's viable or not. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, this is a time of tremendous change. I mean, it's uh, probably the most change since the Second World War. I would say yeah. that the overall changes that were going and and everything gets shaky and unhinged when you have a big, when you have yeah. a, I just real, looked in, uh, like last night. It was so funny. I looked at the uh, you know the odds makers. The I found a cumulative thing, and it's it's all Trump. Trump is the yeah, the betting you know, market. The betting market. Yeah, the betting, the betting market markets, is yeah. all on Trump, and that's yeah. Um, yeah, know, and the betting markets they were wrong with Trump the first time. Uh-huh. They you know they were they. I mean they had Hillary like. Yeah. The day before the election, they had her like at 85, 90%, you know? Yeah. And so, so people say, yeah, yeah, but that was a fluke. That was a mm-hmm. fluke. And I said, yeah, but what if the candidate, candidate himself is the fluke? <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. No, but I did, <laughs> you see, know, it wasn't remember, uh, of all of the field. It wasn't, it's not like an 80% thing there. I think it was like 40% likelihood yeah. which is the top of all of the that was against the field including everybody yeah. including yeah but once, RFK, the, once you like, go head on head they also yeah. have trump biden and it's like 60 60 40 you know oh so, wow okay and, that's interesting and, and, and yeah and that's what people are betting on but that those yeah. uh, betting markets can, can be gained and yeah. and i'll give you an example it was brexit which happened 
you know, in the May, in May or June, I think, of 16 before the presidential election. And the interesting thing is that debates are a big thing in Great Britain, and they're televised. And there were 10 of them in the six months leading up to the actual vote on Brexit, Britain, leaving the European Union. Mm-hmm. And and I watched them, and with every debate, the Leave side had all the emotional issues. Mm-hmm. The Stay side had a lot of intellectual intellectual arguments, and they were you know they're British, they're very articulate. It was you know it was well said on both sides. But the the thing that really cracked the back against the Stay side was the European Union decided about three months before the campaign started that they were going to regulate the electrical electrical charge of teapots in Great Britain. And everybody had to get rid of their teapot because they were using up too much. And this was coming from Brussels, you know, from the European Union. <laughs> you just lost it. You screw around with her because every if you have to change your teacup, then every every day at three three to five o'clock, you're talking. Right. Let's get out of the European. You're not talking about the. Tea. You're not talking about the football <laughs> right. players. You're saying yes. let's leave Britain. Those suckers. Yes. They can't tell us. You know. So it's always like the Bud Light one thing in the United States last mm-hmm. year. I said that was a crack. That was like an earthquake, you know. Yes. That you're fooling around with our beer can. You know, you can't. Yes. Geez, you know, you can't fool right. around with our beer can. <laughs> <laughs> so funny. <laughs> you, know, you know, and I think it always comes down to a gut issue, very emotional, that everybody gets. Like everybody gets it. Mm-hmm. They're fooling around. It's like, you know, when they closed down all the schools, all the states that closed down the schools, Florida didn't close down the schools. Uh-huh. They, uh, they I mean, the individual schools, for one reason or another, can, you know, could, you know, have special reasons or anything else. Yes. But there wasn't coming from the top. There was no ruling on the schools. And it did enormous damage. We now know that there was enormous damage. Mm-hmm. Done to those people right at this early stage when they're starting to learn how to socialize, or you know, and I think uh, we're going to see a damaged generation, maybe t- two damaged generations in the future, who you know had too much time on their hands alone. Yeah, my my feeling is, and uh, it strikes me right now that Trump just has a monopoly on all the gut emotional issues. I agree. Like you, you look at it's pretty amazing how Cloudlandia has really shaped the way we think about these elections. Like I think as Cloudlandia has really become the primary place, that the elections have probably, you know, it seems they've become more contentious or more divide, dividing. And I, I don't know have a clear enough. Remember, you know why that happened? Yeah, you know why that happened? Yeah, and there, I had a really good article on this, and it uh-huh. had to do with how the media gets its advertising dollars, okay? right? Okay, and first of all, the media got their advertising dollars taken away, okay, because Facebook and Google have 70% of the ad money now, just those mm-hmm. two companies, yeah, okay, so. A lot of the media had to turn to a subscription model. So, mm-hmm. for example, let's take the New York Times. Yes. And, uh, you know, not my, you know, it's not a paper that represents my political interest, but I always found it an informative paper. There were yeah. always good articles up until I would say probably 10 years ago. Okay. Mm-hmm. And, and the reason was they made their money from newspapers that went to the street every day. You know, the, mm-hmm. And whoever wanted to buy the New York Times would buy the New York Times. Yes. But they were very thick papers. The Daily New York Times was a thick yeah. paper. And, you know, a lot of the pages, I mean, 40% of the space was advertising. Ads, you know? Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. Well, what happened then when the, the advertising dollars went away, they had to go to a subscription model, and therefore they just moved to the part of the population whose politics agreed with the New York Times, and they lost everybody whose politics didn't agree with the New York Times. And the mm-hmm. same thing happened on the, uh, on the other side of the political spectrum. So, for example, Breitbart, which is now a powerhouse on the you know on the internet, uh, mm. that a strictly an internet that's strictly an internet media company. Yes. Town Hall, yeah, uh, t- News Newsmax, Town Hall, and these didn't exist. They really uh-huh. didn't exist. You know, ten fifteen years ago. Right. Uh, what. But people going adrift from the, you know, the media sources that they used to go go to because it just favored one side of the political spectrum, look for new opportunities. And these other these other real clear politics is another one. Real clear politics has emerged, mm-hmm. and and so that's what polarized things was the disappearance of advertising dollars. Or the you know it, it's really interesting that. You you just brought something up that I thought about that, you know, the New York Times print edition, you were any, you had to get the whole newspaper. And so you're getting all of the things, but when you're online, it's all parsed out to the individual articles, the clickbait and who they're attracting. Then it made more sense to, lean into the audience that you are attracting right that's mm-hmm. uh, so the bias became more pronounced i think right or evident mm-hmm. you couldn't on balance balance it out in the entirety of a print edition of the newspaper because it's only individual articles and pages that are getting mm-hmm. attracting the traffic you know yeah that's something yeah, so I mean, the, the, there's many other reasons besides that particular one, but uh, mm. from an economic standpoint, that was the main economic reason mm-hmm. why the polarization has happened. And, you know, and it's become much more subjective, too. The reporting has become much more, you know, they're not reporting on the facts, they're interpreting the facts and commentating on the facts. So, you don't have reporters anymore. You have commentators. You know, you know the reporters are building in the political message into the reporting of the facts. You know, and uh, I mean, for example, you can't get any reporting on global on weather. You know, weather. You know, extreme weather without somebody interpreting it as just another sign of global warming, which is, you know, which is. Global warming is not a scientific issue. It's a political issue. <laughs> right, right, right. Yes. Yeah, the science doesn't support it. I mean, yeah, it's going up, but we're coming out of an ice age. You know, we've been coming out of an ice age for 10,000 years. And uh, yeah, that's what I meant. This- that's what I always fall back on that, Dan, that somehow we lifted ourselves, this, the planet somehow lifted itself out of an ice age without the aid of combustible engines and fossil fuels. Yeah. You know? yeah. <laughs> so somehow that was the, it was possible, you know, it was happening yeah, where before. I live in Tor- <laughs> where I live in Toronto, I was under about 500 feet of ice. You know? <laughs> right, 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 right. So the, well, the big takes, thought. You know, was, yeah, it takes a while. You know, for, you know, glaciers to actually, you know, and it's just a gradual warming up. And then there's periods when it, you know, it dips down, you know, that you got ups and downs. And, you know, the temperatures, you know, the temperatures, you know, and there's fluctuations, you know, the the heat. Climate doesn't actually exist. Climate is a statistical average of all the weather, like yeah. Where, where Valhalla, where you are, the climate in Valhalla is totally de- determined by 365 days of temper, you know, of weather, and yeah. they're just measuring it, and they call that the climate. But uh-huh. nobody experiences nobody experiences climate. We experience right. weather. Yes. Climate is just it's just an abstract term to measure, yes. you know, all the weather in one place and climate change even in. Yeah, even in Valhalla, probably yeah. where you, 
where you are, are you shaded by the oak trees? We, not particularly. I mean, it's, they're there. No, it's not. A, the whole house is not shaded by oak trees. But there is yep. shade in the neighborhood, yeah. Yeah, but it's really interesting if you, where you go yeah. for coffee, it might be yes. on an annual average, it might be one degree warmer where you're getting your coffee than where people live. Oh, global warming. Yeah, well. Yeah, it's kind of know. like, I was thinking about all these. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It's like, you know, Deming. I was, I've been rereading Deming lately and, you know, one of his, his, the funnel experiments where they would, you know, move and adjust the funnel based on the last result. So it's kind of, and that created the greatest variation by, you know, adjusting with each data point as opposed to, yeah, uh, uh, you know, adjusting the system. Yeah. Well, here's the thing. One of the, you know, you had the polar bears as one of the symbols of global warming. Remember the polar bear thing? This was Al Gore. He got on the, you know, the polar bears. The actual, actually, the population of polar bears, and there aren't a lot of them, but, you know, they're in a particular latitude above a certain latitude line going, going around the world. And uh, their populations actually increased since he started making the prediction that they would be gone by now. So they've mm-hmm. actually increased. Mm-hmm. But the other thing that uh, the the other thing that's really interesting are the Maldives. The Maldives, about mm-hmm. a thousand islands in a cluster in the Indian Ocean, and the Maldives have been petitioning the UN that they need to get a lot of money. Because, you know, they're sinking in the sea. The average height of the islands, you know, and there's, you know, there's a thousand. I think there's a thousand in the what's called the Maldive Islands. Mm-hmm. And, the average, you know, it's about two feet above sea level. So they mm-hmm. said, well, you know, in 30 years, we'll disappear. So we have to have massive money to redirect our population. You know? mm-hmm. And, but actually, the... Mal- the geography of the Maldive Islands, Maldives, has actually increased over the last 30 years. They've got now more land than, you know, than they had, you know, and uh, all of a sudden you say, well, why'd that happen? Well, they said, well, we're trying to figure out why it happened, you know, and what about the polar yeah, right. well, we're trying to fi- We're trying to figure out why it happened, you know, which <laughs> one is that ev- everything that we were saying before was based on ignorance, <laughs> you know. Mm, that's a yeah. good explanation. But, exactly. Yeah, yeah. But what I was uh, uh, going to say, I, I was just thinking about this the other day. When you look at every cause, you know, political cause, you know, whatever cause you have, it's about money. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes. And every movement is a money-making machine. Yeah, that's it's pretty can't go wrong. Really following the money. It all comes down to Jerry Maguire. Show me the money. <laughs> if you want to explain any movement on the planet, where's the money moving? <laughs> is the money coming in or is the money going out? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. It was so funny because the Israelis, I think, ten days ago. Killed, mm-hmm. I think, the number three Hamas guy who was living in Beirut. Wow, and, uh, he was worth four billion a year. You know, <laughs> he made like four billion a year, and they've got the top yeah. six. And they, they said, you know, we're going to find you, and we're going to, you know, we're going to kill you. But the these top guys who don't live in Gaza, they live in Qatar. Qatar, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Qatar. The pronunciation is Qatar. They're living in Istanbul. They're living in Beirut. And um, I bet these are nervous people. I bet. Yeah. Yeah. Could you imagine? I mean, that's kind of, it's an interesting, I had dinner with Lior Weinstein the other night, two nights ago. And, you know, we were talking, I didn't realize this, but, you know, he said there's only 15 million Jews in the world, right? In the world. Yeah. Yeah. I would have thought it was way more. I mean, that seems such Well, a, it tells you uh, yeah. the impact of the Holocaust during right. the Second World War. Yeah. That without the Holocaust, there'd be now 35 to 40 million, mm-hmm. 40 million Jews. I, I saw a projection once. That's how devastating yeah, he said it was. Yeah. At one point, yeah, at the Holocaust was 
probably 40% of the yep. Jews. Which, yeah, you, yeah, if you implicate, you, you, I mean, track that out, it's just like you were saying, yeah, it's Damn. probably 30 or 40 million that would have, that would have been. That's, I mean, it's Damn. pretty, it's crazy. And the eight of them are in Israel or whatever, right? So that's. Uh, no, yeah. they're not, it's not that high. No, um, oh, isn't it? Actually, Israel just surpassed the United States had six for the, you know, it's, you know, okay. it's not a fast, as fast growing a population. Yeah. Israel right, matters. Right, right. And I think they're at the Jewish population now is, could be maybe seven. You know, okay. I, it's on the way to seven. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And, okay. So I wasn't yeah. that far off. Yeah, still, I, I think New York mm-hmm. City itself has New York City itself has two million. Wow, uh, two million. Yeah, yeah, that's wild. Yeah, you know they have a lot of history. You know, I mean, you want to know about uh, what's happened to them over three thousand years. You know, yes. they they got a lot of history to talk about. You know, and what a yeah. tough grind it has been. And uh, so, so, so anyway, yeah, it's really interesting, but they're not confused about who their enemies are. Right. Yes. Anyway, I, I think it's meal time for you. Yes, that is exactly right. I have a uh, wonderful. What today? Arriving. What well, today, Dan, today? today, Dan, I have the Tuscan grilled pork chops arriving today with some How broccoli. It's so that? good. It's very good. And so, um, yeah, I'm excited. This, so far, this has been a really good, you know, m- removing of discretion in demising yep. <laughs> <laughs> my... Rule you know, number one, do not give Dean, Dean Jackson discretion. <laughs> right, exactly. So it allows <laughs> it allows rational Dean to make decisions for future Dean, yeah. and I get to well, enjoy and them. Pre- and, it's, and it's projected into the future. It's yes. already decided we're into the future. Yes, which is great. And so that, just for people listening, I've discovered with yes. in collaboration with Jay Virgin, we discovered... We've chosen 10 power meals for me that are available on Uber Eats. And using the pre-order feature, I'm able to establish these deliveries at 12 o'clock and 6 o'clock. And so bookend my days with these pre-healthy meals. So so far, so good, Dan. Personal wisdom. Yes. Fantastic. So stay tuned. Yeah. Anyway, this was really good, and this was about weather and location and dwellings and very interesting discussion. (laughs) I love it. Well, have a great day, Dan. A great week in Chicago, and then are we on for next week? Yeah, yeah. I'm back in Toronto next week. Okay, great. I'm back in Toronto, yeah. All right. Okay, we'll talk to you then. Thanks. Bye-bye. Okay, bye.